worship this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
mercy for today. Faithful you have been, and faithful you will be. Let yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips.
today that uh, we have been set free. So glad you're here. It's always great to see you as we gather together for worship. Take a few moments and uh, share a word of encouragement and greeting to others who are here as well in worship.
I'd like to invite the ushers forward at this time as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. For God so loved the sinful world, His only Son He freely gave, that whosoever should be eternal life should As a wayward wandering child, I was a slave to sin and fear until this blessed promise fell like music on my ear. It's true. Is true. God's wonderful promise is true. For I've trusted and I've tested and I've tried, and I know His promise is true. Sing with us. Eternal life begun. Be now fills my heart and fills my soul. I'll sing His praises forevermore. He has redeemed my soul. He has redeemed my soul. Think about those words that God's promise is true. Every promise he makes to us, he carries through on. And uh, one of those promises is that he hears us when we pray, that he answers our prayers in the way that he knows is best, and that uh, when we pray, we are engaging ourselves with the Almighty God. 
And so we want to take some time to pray this morning. As you think about the, the things that are on your heart today, things that uh, you, you know, are burdening you about maybe your life, people you love and care about, the world, um, maybe as you pray today you want to, to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to come up here and kneel. Maybe you want to stand, remain seated. Um, sometimes the posture in which we pray can say something about our hearts and what our, as we pray together. So if you'd, if you'd like to come and pray, please do so now as uh, we pray together. Father, we want to thank you today that your promises are true. That when we pray, you hear us. You love to hear our prayers. We are not burdening you. We are not exasperating you. We are doing what you want us to do. Drawing close to you. Sharing our hearts with you. Trusting that You are the answer to every burden and every need and every struggle in our lives and in those close to us and in this world. So, Lord, we come today in prayer with confidence because you called us to pray. Father, as we gather today, there are many needs that um, we are burdened about. We think of people who are grieving and ask that you would Fill them with your comforting presence. We think of people who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for uh, my dad and Stora Emmett and Ben King, Doris Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buker, for Bill Getty and for Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, for Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett and Micah Christensen and Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our minds today, and we pray for your healing grace in each one of their lives. Father, we pray for other burdens that we live with, financial burdens, relational burdens, tasks that are before us, the future that's uncertain before us. And for all of these things, we ask for your grace, your wisdom, and give us the ability to trust that you are at work when we see you and when we don't. Father, we, we thank you for the ministries of this church and all the ways in which we serve each other and care for each other and teach each other. Help us to continue to be committed to each other. We also pray for the churches around us and we think of the Wellsville Salvation Army and Pastor Means. We pray your grace upon them. As they, as they minister to each other and to Wellsville and to the wider community, may your grace be evident in their lives and in their church. We pray, Father, for our nation. And we ask that you would continue to, to surround us with your grace that we might be united in you. In all the ways in which we are divided, we would find your grace to look to you and to see you and to surrender to you. We pray, Father, for uh, so many needs in our world. We think of refugees. We think of people who are dealing even again this week with acts of violence and terrorism. We ask, Father, that you will bring relief and peace and healing. Father, we pray for the work of your kingdom around the world. We thank you for the opportunity that the, the, the men's soccer team and the women's basketball team at the college have to travel to Costa Rica and Nicaragua. We pray that you would help them as they prepare. We pray that you would help them as they raise funds, as they, they make all of the necessary preparations that when they go, they will minister your grace to others. And that you'll work in their hearts 
as they prepare to go, as they are there, and when they return. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in many of the Gulf nations in the Middle East and where there are uh, workers there who are tent maker Christians. We pray, Father, that you will protect them. We pray that you will give them open doors to, to share their faith and may, may the people around them see you in their lives, in just how they carry themselves, in their relationships. And may they bear witness to you and be a, a agents of reconciliation and hope in, a, in places where there is great opposition and difficulty. Father, we pray that you will continue to open our eyes to your presence among us. Give us grace to continue to trust you as we surrender to you. And we ask all of this through the mercy of Christ, who goes to the cross for us and leaves us a model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The scripture reading for today is Colossians 2, 6 through 19. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a, per such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions of their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and snoos, grows as God causes it to grow. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing. And while we sing, children may be dismissed for Children's Church.
Father, as we think about the cross, we pray that you'll open our eyes to see what you've done through Christ Jesus. Help us to see ourselves and to understand what you desire for us. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I mentioned last week, talked last week about uh, Michelangelo's uh, beautiful sculpture, the Pieta. This sculpture that uh, depicts Mary holding her, the lifeless body of her son, and how it has inspired people for generations. In 1972, on Pentecost Sunday, a man jumped over the railing that uh, was around this statue and began striking it with a hammer and yelling out, I am Jesus Christ, I am Jesus Christ. Before they could get to him, he had uh, he'd hit it 15 times with a hammer, smashing Mary's face, chipping off her nose, chipping an eyelid, severing her left arm at the elbow. And they, uh, so the, the church... Uh, commissioned the best artist they could find to restore this uh, sculpture, and it took them 10 months to do that. And um, Ken Geyer, in his book, Shaped by the Cross, as he's describing this, says that when he, when he read that story as he was studying the Pietà, he, he said it struck him that this is such a, a visual display of Satan in the world. That Satan's goal, his purpose is destruction. Everything that Satan does, the purpose of evil is to destroy, and particularly to destroy all the beauty that God has created, and that includes human beings. And the evil one's intent in this world is to destroy, to to damage, to do everything possible to, to make God's creation less than he intends it to be. And we, we know this is true because we see it all around us. I mean, even this week, another terrorist attack. Just last night, I just read this morning, another random shooting at a, at a club in Cincinnati. And you, and you see all of these things about our world, terrorism and violence and the threat of war and persecution and all of these ways, refugees... So many ways in which the evil one is at work in this world trying to destroy human beings. But it's not just about things that are out there. It's about us. Every one of us comes here this morning recognizing our struggle with sin. We recognize that we are fallen, broken people. We recognize even not just our sins, but the sins done against us. The hurt and the pain that we have experienced and continue to experience. We know the ways in which we hurt one another. The ways in which we we react and, and we cause pain for other people. We know evil. We know sin. We see it. We experience it. And sometimes it feels hopeless. When I think about the world, I think I don't get the feeling that there's it's ever going to be any different. When I think about my own struggles, I, I, I think I don't think it's ever going to be any different. And I suspect that there are times, days you feel the exact same way. And as Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, he understands that. He understands living in a world of violence and war and hate and evil. He understands the pain that human beings cause one another. He understands our struggle with sin. And into this world, into this struggle, into this pain, he says, 
Christ went to the cross, and when he did, he defeated evil. In verse 15, well, actually, being in verse 13. Being in verse 13, he says, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He has defeated evil. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, he has defeated evil. Now, it doesn't always look that way. When they lay Jesus in the tomb, it doesn't seem like he defeated evil. Even when Jesus rises from the dead, it doesn't seem like he's defeated evil. When he ascends into heaven, the world doesn't look all that much different than it did when he was born 30-some years before that. We still struggle with all of this stuff. We still struggle with all the effects of sin and pain and evil. But Paul says... Jesus defeated it. And the reality of our faith, in fact, I would say the core of our faith is that we believe that whether it looks like it or not, Jesus has won. Evil has been defeated. Now, we tend to think of evil being defeated as something that took place on Sunday, Easter Sunday of the resurrection. And that certainly is a part of it. Because the cross doesn't have the kind of meaning that the scripture tells us if there's no Easter Sunday. But quite frankly, Easter Sunday was the easy part. The resurrection is the easy part. God God could raise people from the dead. He had done it before that. Jesus did it with Lazarus. And I know Jesus' resurrection was different. But God can raise people from the dead. Paul says evil was defeated at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus surrenders himself to everything that evil can do. He takes it upon himself. And he conquers it. I mentioned a couple weeks ago the song by Michael Card. It starts out on a great April morning as a chilling wind blew. A thousand dark promises were about to come true as Satan stood trembling knowing now he had lost as the Lamb took his first steps on the way to the cross. Evil throws everything possible at Jesus and he conquers it. He wins. And in his victory, we are set free. We are forgiven, Paul says. The slate has been wiped clean. It's as if God... If all of our sins are written on a whiteboard and he's wiped them all off, we have been forgiven. And the world is no longer the same. Evil has been defeated. I think the the difficulty in thinking that the cross is how God defeated evil is that it looks like Jesus loses. But the reality is that Jesus wins not by being more powerful, even though he is. Philip Yancey says in one of his books, Jesus didn't defeat evil by his miracles. He defeated evil by his death. And Jesus didn't defeat evil by all the ways in which we think we typically win. He defeated evil by love. And the reality of the cross is that love is the only thing that can defeat evil. Because in a sense, every other strategy plays into the hands of evil. Only love is something that evil has no concept of. Only love could crush evil and sin. It, I mean, the famous passages of scripture that we often quote one of the first verses we learn as children for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
And there is something about God setting us free through love that changes our perspective about who God is. It is rooted in our view of God. There, there are a variety of theories about the atonement, about what God, Christ does on the cross. And one of those theories says that God is so angry with human beings and our human sin that he is ready to do away with us. And Jesus steps in between us and God and, and appeases God's wrath so that now God forgives us. I have a lot of trouble with that theory. It's almost as if Jesus sneaks down to earth without the Father knowing it and, and goes to the cross and then says, surprise, I've taken care of this. But the scriptures tell us all over the place from beginning to end that the cross is not Jesus' idea. It is God's idea. It is the idea of the, the triune God. It is an act of the Trinity. That God plans this from the beginning because God doesn't have to be convinced to love us. He loves us. And this is not Jesus stepping between us and God. It's step, Jesus stepping between us and evil, between us and sin. That holds us captive. And he breaks the power of sin. He steps between us. This is not Jesus appeasing God. This is the fullest expression of who God is. Of the heart of God. And we, we are just simply called to believe and to embrace and to receive and be set free. I think one of the issues that we wrestle with in, in freedom is that we have a tendency to think of freedom as something that's self-focused. And Paul is writing here, as he does so often, about uh, trying to speak a word about legalism that has crept into the church. It's fascinating to me when you read through Paul's letters, almost every single one of them, one way or another, comes back to that problem of legalism. Because there's something in the human nature that says, I want to create a formula. If we just had the right rules, then I wouldn't have to think. I, I wouldn't have to pray. I wouldn't have to really even engage God all that much. I just follow the rules and I'm good. And God doesn't want us following rules. God wants relationship with us. But it's our natural tendency to, to slide into a legalistic, rules-oriented kind of faith. And so Paul keeps addressing it. But the other problem we have is that we shift to the other extreme and say, well, if it's not about rules, then I can do anything I want. And it becomes a very self-focused, self-centered kind of freedom. No one's going to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want, however I want. Because it's about me. And Paul says, no, 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 it's about Jesus. Our freedom is not given to us so we can be self-focused. Our freedom is given to us so we can be Christ-focused. So we can let go of ourselves and live, bask in the presence of Jesus. When you're set free, you don't have to try to prove yourself to people. You can just be yourself in Christ. When you're set free, you don't have to hoard possessions. You can give things away because you know God will supply your needs. When you're free, we can serve other people. Whether we get any recognition from it or not, whether people serve us in return or not, we can just, we can just serve. When we're set free, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to shape everyone into our image. When we're set free, we can let God work with people however he wants to. When we're set free, we, are, we, we give people freedom to, to be on their journey with Christ, just as we're on our journey with Christ. And they may be completely different, but that's okay. God knows. When we're free, we can love instead of hating. When we're free, we can care about the burdens and the pains that people are experiencing and, and, and know that God is at work. When we're free, we can be patient with people. When we're free, we don't have to try to control life. The freedom that we have in Christ 
is not a just one more burden. It's letting go of the burdens. It's trusting God. It's believing that God is who He says He is. That God does what He says He's going to do. That He can be trusted. And we're free. And instead of thinking about ourselves all the time, and instead of thinking about freedom as, what do I get to do? We think of freedom as, how can I keep giving away whatever I am, whatever I have? And find in that freedom a deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with our Creator. And to experience the kind of relationship with Him that changes us. That's what Jesus does for us on the cross. He sets us free. Now that's, you know, that kind of freedom sounds good, but it's hard. Because it's hard to give up ourselves. It's hard to, to not want to control life. It feels vulnerable. When we, when we don't have our hands around everything, then it feels like life is out of control. It feels like things are vulnerable. It feels like we don't really know what the next step's going to be. And what it really does is it forces us to decide, are we going to trust God or not? And the point of this is not God's playing games with us or saying, man, I, I just want to try to, to get you to, to uh, just... Let go of yourself and I'm, I'm going to try to make your life more vulnerable, more miserable. The point of it is, when we're in this place, we, we trust God more. And in trusting God more, we find that kind of intimacy with God that we were created to experience. This is rooted in our view of God. If, if God is a kind of kind of being who, who has to be convinced to love us, then we spend our lives trying to prove to God we're lovable, that we're worth loving. And we spend our lives doing more, trying to convince God that, that we're good, trying to follow the rules, trying to measure up. And, and the reality is we keep trying to do that but we know we never quite get there. And that's why Paul says, that's not the kind of God we worship. We worship the kind of God who goes to a cross because he loves us already. We worship the kind of God who says, this is the fullest expression of who I am. A God who has all the power in the world the God who creates everything, this God loves us so much that He's willing to step into all of evil, all that it is, to set us free from it in His grace. When you get to verse 16, Paul says, so if you believe all of this, Therefore, don't let anyone change your mind. I think if I were to paraphrase what Paul is saying is, if you believe it's true, then live like you believe it. Live like you believe it. Trust God. Test Him. Take steps of letting go. Take steps of really living like you're free. Free to give. Free to serve. Free to love. Free to, through the Holy Spirit, become more and more like Jesus. And yes, people will take advantage of you. People will hurt us. We may even end up in a place that feels and looks an awful lot like a cross. But if that's the place Jesus ends up, maybe it's a place that's 
worthy for us to live a path that may end up in something like that. Christ goes to the cross to set us free. The question for us is, if we really believe that, do we really believe it enough to live like we think it's true? In our relationships, in our work, in our homes, in the church? Believe it enough to live like it's true. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for your love poured out to us. This undeserving grace by which we Find freedom. Father, as we come to this table this morning, we pray that you will, you will bless the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we will experience your love and your grace and your freedom. Speak into the deep recesses of our hearts and our minds through this sacrament. That it might be food for our souls. And one more call to see who you are and to live like we believe it's true. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by Rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the ushers know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know as you come forward if you would like those. I, I, I like to mention every time we take communion that we practice open communion here at the Wesleyan Church. It simply means you don't have to be a member of this church. Maybe it's the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire to, to live and to experience freedom in Christ through the cross, then come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.